This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Well, welcome to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam, and I'm your host, and helping take our leadership to the next level is Dr. Richard Blackaby. Good to be with you, Sam. Always a pleasure, Richard. We are nearing the end of yet another year. Yeah. Uh, time is flying by. Like, yeah, it does. Like there's no tomorrow. But Yeah, you know, I was thinking uh, 2020 was not that long ago, like... Yeah, COVID and everything, and now we're looking at 2024 already, where it's like... It just seems... The, yeah, we, we, we I, I think we'd never get through that, and now we're kind of blazing on by down. There was the like a weird wormhole, I think. That <laughs> was that was that time period that was both long and yeah. over in a blink somehow. Yeah, but but uh, th- speaking of uh, years gone by, mm-hmm. uh, nice segue there. Uh, you know, I, I, I do try, <laughs> you are Richard. I do better, try. So. <laughs> uh, we're lo- we 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 haven't done this in a little while, but uh, we, I always love to hear from you on uh, leaders from the past, and we do these little leadership or leader profiles, and uh, we're looking at one of the Henrys today. Yeah, yeah, seems appropriate. I thought we'd look at Henry V today. How, was it? Was there a, a total of eight Henrys well, in the yeah, British? I don't know of a Henry the Ninth. I, I, you know, uh, France went up to Louis the fifteenth or sixteenth. Anyway, yeah. I think uh, Napoleon and his crew took out the sixteenth or the that time period. But, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think after Henry the Eighth, nobody dared be called Henry again. But yeah, that, uh, that kind of fell out of fashion. I think. <laughs> yeah, or no one thought they could follow in his shoes. But yeah, uh, but this is Henry the Fourth, and his father's or not surprisingly, or, or the fifth. Okay, not surprisingly, his father was Henry the Fourth. You don't say. Is yeah. that how they did it? Yeah. So <laughs> uh, it, they didn't spend a whole lot of time trying to figure out names. Look, they've got for the first there, are, anyway. there were other kingdoms to conquer. Like nobody yeah. has time for right. being Coddling unique with names and stuff. Baby. Yeah. yeah. No. Well, uh, you know, there's several things that are kind of interesting about Henry, and then we'll do another bi- uh, a biographical look uh, in a few weeks as well. Uh, and when, sometimes when you see a person that is um, kind of rated as a very successful monarch or leader, general, uh, sometimes we think it's almost self-evident. I mean, we think, well, yeah, he was the king, so of course uh, he, he did well, but um, but it's not it's not assumed that just because you're the king that everybody's going to do what you want them to do or that uh, you're going to be successful leading an army. And so, well, I I imagine that like kings or queens or just monarchies in general, that's got to be a slightly different sort of leadership than like someone who's like promoted to CEO yeah. or like it just it seems there's a different. Uh, it seems like a different class of, of yeah. leadership because there's all these other things that and there's so many people kind of go along with all, it. All you know, back in the day, like so he Henry the Fifth is born in thirteen eighty six. And so thirteen eighty six, the fourteenth century, there's a lot of uh nobles in castles all over uh, Great Britain and they all are prideful and confident and thinking that they probably could rule things better than the king can. And of course, a lot of the kings were, uh, they inherited the throne, and so they might just be a child, they might be eight years old, and suddenly they're the king. 
And it didn't mean, you know, it didn't necessarily mean that you're the king because you're the most talented young person out there. Right. That you're a brave warrior and a great general. Uh, you might not care anything about that, but you would assume that that role. And so, uh, it, it, it sometimes it's almost unusual for a young man uh, to become king and actually to be a good general and to be good with leading and and, and liking to lead. Uh, there were some kings that just wanted to be left alone to read poetry all day or you know, to do all kinds of you know hedonistic pleasures, but they didn't want to actually govern uh, their kingdom. And so it, sometimes there are just those kings who actually uh, assume the throne and they actually have the character, uh, the skills, uh, the maturity to actually do a good job. And yeah. so they kind of stand out. Uh, but uh, Henry V, I, I was introduced to him uh, reading a little while ago, and uh, he was one of those guys who just kind of seemed to, uh, in some ways, leave a bit of a charm life. And um, But also, he learned from the mistakes of his father, from others, and then he doesn't make the same mistakes. And you would think that should be pretty self-evident. Just kind of observe what didn't go well for the people who came before you and mm-hmm. try not to do that. But um, but a lot of leaders don't learn that lesson. Yeah. And, uh, and you have a succession of people making the same mistakes. And so uh, he's kind of interesting. Uh, he was born in Monmouth Castle. And so back in the day... You were you took the name of where you were born, so he was known originally as a child as Henry Monmouth, uh, mm. which is which made you really hope that you were born in a cool sounding castle. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, his uh, his grandfather was actually a very influential uh, leader in England, uh, John of Ghent, who was became quite wealthy, and uh, and he actually uh, founded. Um, ultimately the House of Lancaster. And if you know about the War of Roses that would occur uh, a couple of generations later, uh, the House of York and the House of Lancaster would fight a very uh, devastating uh, war that lasted a number of years. And I actually have a book on that I'm on deck to read here coming up, maybe at Christmas. Um, but, it, Christmas but it would uh, pull in, these two leading families would kind of you had to pretty well pick sides uh, if you were a noble at the time, and it devastated uh, the aristocracy for mm-hmm. uh, many years. But uh, but he's kind of the this is kind of the beginning of the Lancaster family that um, that will uh, become quite prominent uh, for a number of years. Uh, and Henry had uh, he had three brothers and. One of the things that they say helped him be successful was that he got along with his brothers. And mm. and they were the kind of brothers who respected their oldest brother, and they were always loyal to him. And Much so, like your brothers, I would imagine. Yeah, very similar. Uh, and, and I probably have a lot of you know characteristics like Henry V. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but that helped him because... In that day and age, you couldn't trust just anybody, you, and and right. you were always in danger of uh, betrayal, uh, someone trying to usurp the throne, and and so uh, if you had brothers, you could trust, uh, and you know they were throwing their lot in with you, so your success would be their success, and so uh, he had three brothers that uh, were loyal to him, along with others, and so that gave him some lieutenants that he could entrust. 
Um, and even after his death, uh, they would remain loyal to his his uh, legacy and his wishes. But um, he, when when Henry is a child, the the king is actually Richard II. And uh, if you've studied much of Shakespeare, you know uh, he Richard II is a famous tragic figure, and uh, and Henry V uh, is portrayed by Shakespeare. And Shakespeare likes Henry V. He admires him uh, for his success and. Um, and so he doesn't make Richard II look all that great, but uh, but Henry, but Henry uh, I think he comes out. Shakespeare uh, likes him and likes how he does things. And so Richard II, though, is um, he's uh, he's a leader that has a lot of issues, um, and uh, and he 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 doesn't want to be told what to do, which a lot of kings didn't. And so uh, Parliament uh, Parliament back in those days. Uh, controlled the purse. And so uh, if the king just kept spending money like there was no tomorrow, uh, he'd eventually have to come to parliament and ask for tax money and revenue. And and that's when the parliament could say, okay, well, before we give you money, you're gonna, we're going to demand some changes. And, and if they saw maybe that the king had advisors that were not uh, helping him show restraint, maybe they were encouraging excess they would say, okay, we're only going to give you money if you, you know, get rid of that advisor mm. uh, or get rid of that general or whoever it was that the parliament didn't trust. And, uh, and so there was always this tug of war back and forth. The king wanted to keep his prerogative, but he needed money. And so parliament would try to uh, exercise as many limits as they could on him. And so the, now and then things would get ugly and either the king or parliament would uh, arrest people and even have them beheaded as traitors. And so it was a dangerous game, you, you know, a brinkmanship. <laughs> it was not just a vote of censure in the parliament like it might be today. It was you you had a falling out with the other side and uh, you could end up in the Tower of London. And so at a certain point, Richard II, um, he doesn't trust Henry IV, um, and so he exiles him, and that this would happen sometimes. It was better to be exiled than, than put in the Tower of London, and so he he goes to Europe, and uh, but he keeps uh, but but Richard II keeps Henry V, the son, kind of as a hostage, and so but he lets the but he's he's a, a noble, and so this boy grows up actually spending more time around Richard II, the king, than he does around his own father, and so. He actually becomes quite loyal to the king, and and he gets a good education and training, and um, and it's kind of like here's a way to kind of keep Henry's dad uh, from doing anything too crazy because I've got your son over down the down the hallway in the in the royal nursery if you give me trouble. And so uh, eventually, though, um, Richard II kind of goes a little bit too far, and he he uh, tries to take all of Henry's, um, Henry the Fourth's uh, castles and lands and just tries to say that he's um, a criminal, which there's not uh, conclusive evidence that he was disloyal. But, um, but that was kind of a thing kings could do sometimes if you were a little short of cash, you know, just call a noble a traitor, then take all of his assets and, and use them for yourself. And yeah. so... Uh, so he he sort of just says I'm I'm taking all of your lands, which were were pretty extensive, and so then he gets ready to go off to Ireland to fight that Richard II does to go fight a, a, a war over there, and at that time, 
Henry the Fourth comes back to England, comes back from his exile, and says, "Okay, we're we're having it out here. You're not going to just rob me blind, and and you're a corrupt king, and you're illegitimate, and you're not doing what kings are supposed to do." And and so he he rallies uh, other disgruntled people, and there's always some that were disgruntled with the the ruling monarch. And um, and ultimately he gets uh, his son Henry V. Ultimately uh, joins his forces. But but interestingly, it's, at first it's not even certain which side Henry V is going to fight on because he he likes Richard II. And uh, but of course he also has to be loyal to his father. And so very very confusing early days for Henry. And you could certainly see how he could have been very troubled and confused and. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, not wanting to experience any more conflict, uh, and but uh, ultimately Richard II is um, overthrown, and uh, he writes uh, abdication papers, and he's promised that he can kind of just retire to one of his estates and just stay out of the way. And uh, but then a month or or so later, he dies mysteriously, <laughs> which often happened. It's, you know, it must have been something he ate, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but he dies, and so that uh, and ultimately Henry the Fourth is made king, and so um, and that always kind of uh, hovers over his head because technically Henry the Fourth is not the the closest uh, heir, so if you were just going by who's next in line, it really wouldn't have been Henry the Fourth, but he has to kind of make a claim for it, but you know when you the problem when you overthrow someone, whether, whether it's maybe you run off a pastor and then you say, well, I'll just take over being the pastor. I'll you overthrow a, a CEO or someone um, is that you have to always uh, be worried that someone's going to say, well, then I can overthrow you. Uh, you right. You're not a legitimate leader here. And so uh, I can overthrow you and say you're not legitimate either. And so. Um, so Henry the Fourth always kind of lives under a cloud, and uh, in the la- latter part of his, his life, he um, has some kind of mysterious ailments, and some people said, "Well, that's a curse of God on him," and so on. Uh, and uh, he kind of dies a miserable, lonely, unhappy life. He he becomes king of England, but and he and he tries to do some things that need to be done in the country, but uh, but he's always somewhat suspicious of people and there's there's people revolting against him in Scotland and Wales and other places and um, and so he actually will ultimately send his son Henry V uh, to Wales and try to be try to represent his dad there and and uh, Henry V actually his first major battle uh, he's got armor as a knight uh, and but of course the armor had like a visor and you know something to cover your face and apparently uh he he got an arrow right in the visor like it went into his by his eye by his forehead and <laughs> and lodged itself in his skull uh and i guess it tells you something of henry that he didn't want to leave the battlefield <laughs> i've got an arrow yeah, stuck that's... in my head that came through my visor i would probably want to call it a day <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and say, could someone call nine one one? But he actually leads his men to victory in battle before retiring from the field, and uh, and they they are able to get the shaft of the arrow out, but it, the the head is lodged in his head, 
and they have to do a very, very delicate operation that takes several days. And all of that without anesthetic, pain medicine. Yeah, this is the 14th century. Yeah, so, this, so uh, you want to think about how surgery. horrific that is. It took several days to oh, try man. to loosen that shaft from or the, the head uh, from his head. Uh, but he survives it and lives to uh, see another day. And so, uh, but but along the way, uh, there you'd also would have like a, a, a you know a, a governing council, if you will, a group of uh, your cabinet that would kind of govern the country. And uh, Henry the fourth, Henry the fifth, or Henry the fourth brings his son in to be a part of that. So he. Uh, early on, he's being groomed to be the king one day. And so even as a young man, he learns how to work with people and and watches. Um, and the, the council sometimes is, certainly the, the parliament sometimes is kind of hostile toward his father. But Henry V is watching all the time and learning. And uh, when his father finally dies, he is made uh, king. And the, and the country, it's not very tumultuous or divisive. They they embrace him as the next king and they say that he he had uh he was one of the most popular um kings to rule england that mm. uh, he just had a way with people uh that typically if you worked uh for him you you remain loyal to him and uh he could rule with a firm hand he was a man he grew up to be a man's man uh uh he knew how to lead soldiers in battle uh he was a good warrior himself he uh he didn't kind of stay in the back of the battle. He was right in the middle of it, uh, in the center of the of the army when the fight began, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and that of course won him a lot of loyalty. He didn't kind of ride off in a royal carriage uh, while the soldiers were marching across the land. Uh, he marched with them and uh, and uh, endangered himself, lived among them. Well, I think taking an arrow to the head in battle, <laughs> I feel like as a leader, that's got to earn you some, uh, some, some credit there. Yeah, and he, uh, and and you know, when you survive things like that, you, you sometimes you think, well, does he have uh, the hand of God upon him, the the protection of God? That... I, and I imagine that story gets sort of embellished over the, yeah. you know, as it plays telephone out out among yeah. the people like that. And of course, the 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 worst thing, if you, I mean, if you can survive an arrow to the head, was uh, usually was infection. You know, right. you, you got an infection, then you died of that more than from blood loss and so on. But, uh, but he survives and several things they said about him that made him so good was he was a warrior and he was successful and typically he didn't lose battles. Um, he was used to winning and, uh, but he was all, and he was very, uh, very confident and he was able to instill confidence in the people that he led. And so even if his army was smaller than the army he was fighting, um, you just knew that if the king was with you, that you're probably going to win anyway. And at this time, he's going to eventually go to France and conquer France and become its king as well, which is quite a feat for a king of England. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But at the time, the, the, the king of England was not nearly the warrior king that, that Henry was. And in fact, uh, you didn't really want the king of France leading the army. He he wouldn't have been very good at that. And so you'd kind of keep him safely tucked away somewhere while your nobles fought it out over who was going to be in charge of the French army. But uh, but the English king 
during this time was always with the army, leading the army. And because of that, he had uh, total control. And uh, there's no question about who do we obey the general because he was the king. Not yeah. some not some noble that was appointed, and uh, and they said Henry was also very good with um, with governing, which a lot of warrior kings aren't. A lot of warrior kings are, um, you know, they're so busy raising an army and going off to fight that they don't really take care of just running the country. Right. But uh, but he would usually leave one of his uh, trusted brothers uh, to to run the the country while he was gone, and um, and he did a number of things uh, to. Uh, to, to get good people in place. Uh, they said that he also, it was interesting, they said, uh, for the, the author said, for a warrior king, Henry seemed also to possess the soul of an accountant. And so he's good at raising money. A lot of kings would run up huge debts uh, by fighting wars, but, uh, but he would raise uh, money for his battles. They said that, uh, that in today's currency, that he raised probably about 70 million pounds uh, for his battle. So he wow. raised a lot of money. Uh, and, uh, and he uh, would personally be involved with uh, raising the money. He didn't just leave that to other people. He lent his name and cause and reputation to it. And he spoke with those who donated and, uh, or contributed, invested. And, and, uh, and, he was, uh, and, he, and he governed wisely. I, I think what you would just say is that uh, he had a maturity about him. And you see a lot of leaders that are very insecure. And, they're, um, and so they're, because they're insecure, they don't trust people that maybe could do a good job for them. Uh, right. And they don't want to put really talented people in prominent positions because it looks bad on them. But, but if you're confident in your ability, you, you're not threatened by talented people, then you surround yourself with talented uh, lieutenants that, that can do a good job. And you don't care if they get glory for it. That's, that's, you, you reward your, your people well, and so they want to perform for you. And so Henry had that ability to do that. And so he, um, he had some of the best people in the whole country that uh, would, would serve him and lead in his armies for him and, and rule the country when he was away. And so um, and so it's, it's just interesting if you're confident and you have a good eye for talent, which Henry did, he, if he saw talent, uh, he would reward you. And it said that the author says that, uh, a lot of Kings really saw themselves more as the King of the nobles. And so as long as you had the nobles under control, they would kind of keep the, the riffraff, the people at large, yeah. uh, uh, you know, under control as well. Uh, but they said Henry was one of the first kings who saw himself as the king of everybody, the king of the commoner as well as the noble. And so even the commoners uh, trusted him. And th- this is kind of an interesting time in England, hi- English history when they, they kind of developed what was called the, the longbow. And mm. it used to be they had like a crossbow that was quite famous, but uh, the longbow was kind of an English invention and... Uh, it could be shot really far, and it was very powerful. And a, and a good archer could fire off several arrows every minute. And so, when uh, Henry became king, one of the first things he did was he he uh, outlawed selling longbows to the French or the Scots or anyone else who could be an enemy of theirs. Yeah, he kind of wanted it to be a British an English thing, and uh, and that became. Uh, that was kind of like having the best air force at the time. Right. You know, you 
typically if you're going to fight a battle, you um, you you first you send a barrage of arrows to, to sort of decimate the enemy as best you can, and those longbows could penetrate armor and uh, and you know could certainly devastate cavalry and. Uh, and so it was just a game changer. If you had really good archers who could fire a lot of arrows in a hurry, uh, you didn't have to have as big of an army because you could quickly whittle down the other army to size. Uh, and so he, he, in fact, he encouraged uh, longbow practicing. He encouraged every Englishman to have a longbow in his in his cottage that could be brought to bear mm. uh, if the king called upon you. And so he did a number of things. Uh, including building up a navy and, and, and protecting the English Channel, which was kind of one of the first kings to do that. Uh, not, not again until Henry VIII did a king care so much about the navy and protecting his, um, his, his country. And so Henry is a... It's, it, some people like Henry just seemed like they were born to rule, that they, yeah. uh, their dad didn't do all that great, but he watched what his dad did or didn't do. And then it was like he almost just course, course corrected with his family to say, okay, dad did the best he could, but I think I could do better. And, uh, and certainly he did. Mark your calendars for May 15th to 17th, 2024. Richard is going to be at the Cove at the Billy Graham Training Center uh, outside of Asheville, North Carolina. The seminar is going to be on the ways of God, and you can register at thecove.org. We'll leave links for that in the show notes. I will say, if you do sign up for um, the Ways of God conference in May, uh, do let us know because uh, Richard would love to hear from you. Uh, He's not able to necessarily eat with everyone, uh, but if you give us enough uh, heads up that you're going to be coming and would love to have a a meal uh, with Richard, uh, we will definitely uh, do our best Uh, to get you on the list and uh, at least be able to share one meal with Richard. So we hope to see you at the Billy Graham Training Center uh, in May. Links to all that will be in the show notes. I always enjoy these uh, look backs through history and and seeing how these great leaders took on the challenges that uh, faced them that were maybe both peculiar to them but also universal to anyone that leads and um, Henry certainly, Henry the V certainly had some particular uh, challenges, but but also there's a lot that we can learn uh, as leaders from from how he led. And so maybe just in in the last few minutes here, Richard, what are some other uh, things that you would like to uh, point out about uh, Henry the V? Yeah, just a couple of last things. Uh, his most famous battle happens in Agincourt, which uh, is happens in 1415, and Henry has invaded France, and of course, uh, Henry saw himself, or at least claimed that he saw himself, as the king of France as well. The English kings, uh, some kings before him, had conquered some lands in France, and and uh, he felt like the the French king had stolen some of his lands, and he was coming back for them. And um, which it seems like there was just an ongoing. Like sometimes the French would conquer the yeah, English, and like that was an ongoing... something about the French and English. Well, and it seems a, like more so than any other. Yeah, but. there was a hundred years war. I mean, we we think of them more in modern times, like in World War One or two, as allies. But uh, yeah. for most of their history, they were not allies. Right. They were actually rivals. Uh, but um, but he does a couple things. He he invades with uh, his army and uh, he manages to capture a major fortress and uh, is. But uh, in the in the 
especially back then, they would end up with uh, a, a raging case of dysentery or something or some uh, other disease that happened a lot in closed quarters, uh, a lot of men living in close quarters together. And um, and he lost a couple thousand of his men just from disease. He lost mm. more men to disease than he did from the French uh, soldiers. And uh, and so he's marching on, and uh, now he's a greatly depleted force. He's had to occupy this uh, fortress. He's had wounded people he's had to send home. He's got people died of disease. And so he's finally down to five or 6,000 men left. And uh, now, after he captures this one big city or fortress, uh, the, it finally rallies the French. And uh, and, and Henry is, is not trying, he's not trying to come in as um, a conqueror. He's coming in as a liberator to say, I'm actually the, the rightful king of France. And so he, he has a very strict policy about not looting, uh, you know, um, the city, robbing people, because he doesn't want all the French to hate him and resent him. He wants, he actually, when he takes over a territory, he lowers their taxes and he he, he makes their life easier because he wants them, everybody to, to like having, following him instead of the French right. king. And, uh, and so the French finally rally, though. It's very late, but they finally realize, hey, we got to come together here and, and fight this invader. And so they, uh, they, they gather a, a large army. And so Henry probably had maybe six or so thousand, six, seven thousand men at most. Uh, and the French, it's estimated, had anywhere between 30,000 and upwards of as much as even 150,000. Wow. That 150 is probably pretty high, but, uh, but they think that it, at, the, at the best odds was they were outnumbered three to one at the very best and may, may have been at least six to one. Uh, and so the French, are, they're on their home territory. Uh, the, the English have been marching now. They're trying to get to Calais to get back to, to England, uh, but they're several days' march away still, and the French send notice that they, they want to engage in battle. And, uh, and so Henry says, well, you know where to find us. <laughs> we're, here we are. We're ready. And so, uh, but the French, uh, you know, you, you have to kind of understand their, what, what went on in that day because... Uh, you you were looking for glory. You were looking for uh, fame. And so uh, if you were a noble, you wanted to be up in the fighting. You didn't want to be at a battle that, and you were always in the background. And then people say, oh, what did you do during that famous battle? Well, I never really got close to the enemy, you know. And so they, yeah. you didn't want that. So you wanted to be up near the front. And so Henry, uh, the the night before, they know they're going to probably fight the next day. And Henry dresses himself out in all of his royal finery. You know, instead of just kind of blending in, uh, not making yourself an obvious target, he makes himself a very obvious target. He's in the very center. He, he, he divides into three groups, and, uh, and he basically takes command of the center. And then his two most trusted, very capable commanders. Uh, and oftentimes you hear about... If there is kind of a, a defeat, sometimes you, you've kind of given charge of a major part of your army to someone that is not reliable. Uh, but, mm -hmm. but Henry doesn't do that. He, he's, he's got people he knows that they know what they're doing and they can be trusted. And two things that were kind of interesting I learned from this book. One is that if the, the Englishmen, the archers, 
they would kind of keep the bowstring uh, separate. Like they didn't always have it all put together uh, until they were ready to use it. And then they would string it. And so oftentimes they would keep it under their hat. And that was actually, they, the author says, that's where the phrase keep it under your hat came from was English archers that would keep the mm. string in their hat until it was time to pull it out and go And is that to keep out. the string dry? I think so. Maybe just not to keep it strung tight all the all the time. Mm. You know, if you're walking for days with a tightly yeah. strung bow, then that could kind of wear it out, you know. So you kept it kind of fresh and you didn't really string it till you're ready to use it. So kind of like loading your gun in a sense, but yeah, uh, yeah. and the other one was that the night the, the day that they're going to fight uh, apparently uh, Henry tells the archers that the, the French hated the British archer, the English archers. And so the, he said that the king of France had said that, that they were, they were going to cut off two fingers from every English archer that they captured so that they could never pull a bow again. And so when he tells them that before the battle, just know if you get captured, if we don't win this war, this battle, they're going to cut two of your fingers off. And apparently they had what they called the two-finger salute came from that, where they, the British kind of very irreverently would salute with two fingers as if to say, come and get them. And, mm. uh, and so That's that also comes from that battle. So anyway, on the day of the battle, the French um, come charging in and the English... Uh, archers just decimate the French. And um, and the the French, uh, be, it's partly a, a, a problem with just pride and everybody wanting to seize the glory and get to the front of the line, uh, which is commendable. You want to get to the front of the battle, but the, the, the longbowmen are just mowing people down at the front. And, yeah. um, and then they had about a thousand cavalry that were going to try to sweep through and get the and wipe out the archers, but uh, all that goes uh, to naught, and the the English line holds, and it was pretty pretty thin. I mean, they were greatly outnumbered, but the English also know they've got no, they have no choice. I mean, they either win or they're going to be killed. So they, the French know that if things don't work, they can pull away and maybe strike another day, but the English kind of know it's, they've got to hold the line here and not give way. And so they win a, an amazing victory. That their estimates are that um, that there there maybe was uh, between 100 to maybe at most 500 uh, English soldiers killed. Probably much closer to 100. Uh, wow. And yet there were there were literally thousands of Frenchmen that died. And what happens is uh, that so many bodies. They were literally just French bodies just piled up in heaps in front of the English and. Then you were some were actually just uh, trapped. You, you you turned to flee, and there's so many s- corpses behind you, you couldn't escape. And uh, and so it was a horrific massacre. And probably the worst part for the French was that there were uh, perhaps 1,200 or more uh, French nobles that were captured and taken away as prisoners, and many many more uh, that were killed in battle. Many dukes and uh, nobles of various ranks were killed in that battle. It was devastating to the French. And mm. so uh, so Henry comes back the next year, and uh, and then he begins just to, to claim more and more territory of France. And finally, the French have to capitulate to him, and he marries a French princess, and uh, basically he becomes the regent as long as the current French king is around. Uh, he'll rule France, but kind of... With, 
you know, with the authority over the king. And then when the king dies, he becomes the king of France. And so, um, so he is, I don't think it gets any better for an English king than when you whoop up on France and you become the king of France as well. <laughs> yeah. And he, he does some things. Uh, he says, okay, we're not going to just merge the two countries. They'll, they'll, they'll continue to be separate countries. If you're France, we won't try to teach you how to be English. You'll still be France, but you'll just, we'll just have the same king, uh, which is absolutely phenomenal that, that he could do that. Uh, but uh, he is going to get ill, going to catch a disease, which so many famous generals did uh, while, while out, like Alexander the Great. May Some think he was poisoned. Others say he, he just caught malaria or something and died. Yeah. But um, And uh, he's going to ultimately die uh and and have to be have his body brought back to England. Uh, that people mourned him, uh, even though he was away a lot. Um, he had learned to uh, make English men feel like they were English, that they they felt proud of who they were and uh, their country and their victories and their king. Uh, and so uh, he and he manages to have a, a son with this French princess that he's married. Um, and for the first while, his brothers are going to take over until his son gets old enough to rule. But uh, and his one brother John is is quite competent as well. But um, but in, and and as long as his brothers and his t- chief uh, lieutenants are still around, it says something about Henry that those who serve with him, even after he's dead, they continue to promote his legacy, his reputation. Mm-hmm. They they try to keep do, fulfilling his will, what he wanted done. He, they try to make it so. But uh, as they begin to die off, uh, the next generation, including Henry's son, just isn't his father. And uh, sadly, within 30 years, all the territory that Henry conquered will be lost. And uh, they'll become a horrific war of roses that will decimate the Lancaster family. And um, and so you look at that his time frame and you just say, uh, you know, it didn't last long. A lot of what he gained was lost soon afterward. But uh, he did instill a certain pride in his nation. He built his navy. Uh, he showed that how how uh, strong an English army could be, especially with archers. But uh, but he dies prematurely. And so, like a lot of questions in history, you kind of wonder, what if he had lived another 20 years, mm-hmm. uh, ruled France for 20 more years? Uh He's one of those leaders that as long as he lived, nobody could really beat him. Um, yeah. And the only thing that beat him was disease and his own mortality. But uh, an interesting king. Uh, Shakespeare, if you if you get a chance to look at his plays, uh, Henry, I think, shows up in a couple of different plays. Uh, yeah. But um, Shakespeare quite admired him as one of the heroes. And maybe the last thing to say is that when... Uh, during World War II, when the British and the Americans and, and Canadians finally invaded Normandy and were fight, slugging it out with the Germans uh, there uh, on the mainland, Churchill actually insisted that England produce a film on Henry the, V because it was in the area of Normandy that he fought his battles and where he invaded France. And and so he called upon Englishmen to remember Henry V that had been so successful in fighting in that same territory. Hmm. Uh, several centuries earlier, wow. and so you might not have heard a lot about Henry V before. We always hear about Henry VIII, but uh, yeah. uh, but sometime before that, uh, Henry V is one of those guys who history has treated pretty well overall, and said uh, 
we, we wish we'd had more national leaders like him. Yeah, and tell us again the book that you referenced. Yeah, it's called, uh, it's by Teresa Cole. It's called Henry V, The Life of the Warrior King and the Battle of Agincourt. So it's not uh, as deep of a book as some get real academic sometimes and really get into deep footnotes. Uh, she writes it a little bit more popularly. And she'll describe things like uh, the longbow and how it worked or uh, armor at that time and what it protected, what it didn't, and just kind of how you raise money for to, to carry out a war. And so it's it's quite informative for that time period. You probably, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of our listeners haven't read anything about the history of the 14th century anytime recently. And so yeah, I don't, it might I don't, be time. Might be, it you might, might be, be past due. It might be. <laughs> so we'll leave links to that in the show notes. And uh, until next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackme.org.